Welcome everybody to another episode of the Dreamer Diary podcast. My name is Christian and today's episode is one that I think we need to hear more of. We need to have more stories of women in business, women, you know, starting businesses, what it takes. Separate from that, just entrepreneurship amongst the undocumented, the Latino, the Mexican community, I think is something that we need to just hear more of because all too often we hear that Mexicans are taking jobs or undocumented people are doing this or that. But in reality, they fail to realize that we're also starting businesses. We're also creating jobs for people. And so part of the the focus of this podcast is to create an avenue for people to be able to share their story, to be able to talk about you know, how they're contributing in their communities. And so I was able to get in touch with today's podcast guest to be able to provide a different perspective on how to start a business. It's, I think it's one where several of the listeners will be able to connect just in terms of the experience, the industry that, that she started a business in. Um, but I, will, I don't want to talk too much. I want her to kind of tell everybody a little bit more about herself. So uh, today's podcast guest is Lorena Vargas Schultz, and I will kick it over to her. Free, feel free to tell us who you are. Well, hello. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm Lorena Vargas Schultz. I'm a roofing contractor in Southwest Florida. We service pretty much all of Florida. I started this business with my family, and we are still working together every single day. We haven't killed each other yet, so that's a plus. <laughs> oh, that's very important, especially in the business. No, I love it. So tell us a little bit more about your background. So what is your story? Like, where, where does your family come from? So I am 100% Mexicana. I was born in Mexico, Pachuca, Hidalgo. And I moved here when I was seven years old. Seven years old. Do you remember what it was like when you came to the U.S. at seven? Not really. I honestly, I don't really remember much about my time in Mexico. Maybe like a little bit playing in the mud or something. I don't know. Not not much, though. Um, but the experience of moving here was a little, I guess, traumatic. So I do remember that day. But, um, but yeah, I don't really remember much from from Mexico though. When you guys were preparing to come to the US, did your parents kind of prepare you beforehand? Like, hey, Miha, we're gonna move to the to another country where you don't speak English. Uh, was there that kind of preparation that went in? I don't think so. I don't remember that, but my dad actually moved here before we did, like my mom and I. So I would talk to him on the phone and I would ask him, you know, what color is the sky over there? Is the water blue, you know? <laughs> you're so far away what is it like over there um so I guess I kind of knew he was very far away but I didn't understand that maybe we were leaving everything that I currently knew at the time for a whole new life wow and did you was it just your parents and yourself or do you have siblings um did they now my brother is 10 years younger than me but at the time it was just me my mom that came and then my dad was already over here Okay, so it sounds like your dad was kind of, you know, preparing the way for you guys to, to, to land here. And so when you came to the U.S., you were seven years old. Uh, where, where exactly did you guys land? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, somewhere in Texas. I have no idea. But then we ended up living in Dothan, Alabama. So I kind of grew up in Alabama for most of my t- younger, you know, formative years, I guess. <laughs> And and what was it like living in a place like Alabama that has traditionally been more anti-immigrant than pro-immigrant? What was that experience like for you? 
You know, it's so interesting because now I live in Florida. I came to Florida when I was in high school and college, and I saw more of that here in Florida. When I was in Alabama, I don't know if they just hid it from us in elementary school or they didn't teach it to us. Like even the history books, we didn't learn much about slavery, which is crazy. Um, But I didn't feel that when I was there. Everybody was friends with everybody. You know, there were Hispanic kids, there were black kids, there were white kids. It was, you know, it was just a whole bunch of kids. And I I didn't really feel that until I came to Florida. So I don't know what that says about (laughs) Alabama, but I had a great experience. That is so interesting. I mean, I've never personally been to Alabama. I've heard, you know, both great and, you know, not so great things about it. So it's interesting that you have that perspective. Um, And I guess that leads into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, which is, so growing up in a place like Alabama, where, you know, being undocumented may be kind of a negative experience for others. You know, did you feel like you had to hide your status or were you kind of open with your friends about the reality of what you were living? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know at the time because I was, you know, in elementary school, middle school, I was just running around with the kids. So I didn't, that information wasn't known to me and I didn't really see us as different than, you know, my neighbors or, my friends, parents, we were all kind of just working class and everybody worked normally and everybody, I don't know, it was just like a normal kids running around. I didn't know. Um, I actually didn't know until I was in, I was applying to go to school for college, for university. So I kind of was, I don't know, sheltered from it. I didn't didn't even think about it. (laughs) So, okay, so you found out when you were applying for college and did your parents tell you, like, you know what, Mija, sorry, you can't apply because you don't have papeles? Or were you, did you have an experience like mine where my experience was, I didn't know, like, my parents tried to shelter my sister and I from the undocumented experience by telling us, like, hey, if anybody ever asks you, just tell them, get us the aquí, right? You're from here. And if anybody tells you, like, oh, well, where's your family from? Like, just say, oh, you know, you're from Mexico, but, like, you grew up in California or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so my parents would kind of tell me these little things to kind of over time get me to believe that I'm from here, you know, and then not having an accent when I speak English, having a gringo accent when I speak Spanish. But yeah. when I speak English, you know, be, you know, making myself seem more like everybody else was kind of a kind of, I guess, like a, a shield, so to speak. So when I found out at 18, when my teacher was like, hey, in order for you to get your grade to graduate, you need to fill out a FAFSA application and that's when the reality hit me. So maybe could, could you go into what that experience was like for you? Like, what was the defining moment where it was like, oh, I don't have papeles? It was it was then when I when I had to. You're right. It was like I was in high school. The guidance counselor was telling us, you know, we've got a. Well, obviously, they help everybody. Right. They help everybody fill out some forms and. I didn't have the necessary information. I didn't know my social security number. I didn't know, you know. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a, I didn't have a driver's license. I couldn't get a permit. Um, so whenever they started asking for those things, I was just like, yeah, sure. Let me go ask my parents. And when I took the information home, my parents were like, um, so you don't have that. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? I don't have that. And they were like, well, you don't have one. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I kind of knew about our situation, right? Because like you said, they kind of 
say these little things to, or maybe you tell a couple lies to the family friends, you know, you kind of, I'm just like, oh, whatever, I guess. Yeah, we do. I don't know. I didn't really, it didn't affect me much. And then once it actually became something real that was holding me back from my next step in life, I was like, what do you mean? I don't have that. And I'm not going to get it. And I'm not going to have this opportunity. So it really put, I've always been a little driven, but it really put a fire under me that I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. So after that, I actually started looking for grants. I knew that there were, you know, scholarships that you can get as undocumented. I knew that there was, there, there had to be something that I had, you know, I had to have some, something to grab, you know, and I have been a musician for a long time. And one of my teachers told me that I could get a full scholarship if I get, um, if the school sponsors me. And I was like, oh, I'm going after that. I don't care what <laughs> needs to happen. So I just fine-tuned my music skills and I got a full ride to FGCU because of that, because of the fact that I was open and honest to everybody, like my teachers. I was like, okay, I just found out like this is happening. I can't go to school. This is what I need. And they were able to get the school to sponsor me as an out-of-state student, out-of-the-country, international. Yeah, I was just going to say international. Um, That (laughs) is such an amazing story. And I think that is exemplary of what is possible when one you're true to the reality of your situation right because at seven years old i don't imagine you were like you know what mom let's move to the u.s sin papeles or whatever right yeah let's just do this yeah yeah i don't know anybody personally that that was their case where they're like you know what things suck here in mexico i'm five years old it's three years old i'm gonna go to another place i i don't know anybody so the fact that like you had to overcome these struggles to be honest with number one yourself and also with others about the realities of your situation, open up doors that maybe had you not have done that, you probably may have still struggled to try to get you know a scholarship or a way to pay for school. Um, so that I think is something that a lot of the undocumented community needs to just hear more of because all too often we hear in the media that, oh, these dreamers are doing that and they don't really come to the reality of like everybody has a unique story, right? Everybody's story is different, but it can also have such a profound effect on those that are that need to hear that story, like your story. Uh, I don't know if you had a privilege to listen to one of the previous episodes, but in my last episode, I had a gal who she studied chemical engineering and she's also from mm-hmm. Texas. And she was telling her story of how she came to the U.S. But what was also really amazing as part of her story is that, like you, she confronted the realities of her situation and said, you know what, I don't have papeles. I know this is a struggle, but I'm not going to let it get get me down. I'm going to find a way to get what I want. And in her case, she hustled her way and found, you know, like you, a way to get a full-ride scholarship despite not having papeles. And I think a lot of young people, especially those um, younger people who now have DACA where for the last couple of years, probably for the last two administrations, you know, it's been wishy-washy about DACA. Is DACA going to stay? Is DACA going to go? And so a lot of them are like, you know what, but, but if they're going to take it away, why would I go to school? Like, why would I keep up that investment of my time if they're not going to keep the program going? And I think when that happens, you fail to yeah, realize so that. Exactly. It's they fail to realize that, you know what, there 
you just hang on a little bit longer. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened to you is, you know, you came to that tr- realization that that's what you needed to do. And so you were able to overcome this undocumented experience of, okay, I, I want to go to school, but I don't know how. So once you were in school, what over what struggles did you have to overcome to see the success that you wanted while you were in school? Yeah, well, during school, I really focused on being the best that I could because I did have kind of a weight on my shoulders, right? I have expectations. I needed to be extremely successful in order for them. I don't know. I just felt that responsibility, right? I felt like they're paying for me. So I need to be extremely successful. And I was, I was an opera singer while I was in school. I was professional. I won a bunch of competitions. I did the best that I could. I sang with all the orchestras in town. Like I was just trying my damnedest hard. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, you have that weight, right? You have that responsibility. And I did not want to let anyone down because of that, because they gave me that opportunity. And you know what? I think there's so many undocumented people, especially young people that see that as as a negative, right? And it is, it really is a huge cloud over, you know, your life because there are so many things that you can't do. But I do know that if you really, really work hard, if you really just like focus and like you said, like if you're honest with people and you and you look for doors to open up, there's there's opportunity right next door, you know? And this is in retrospect because in back then I didn't really think that I was doing that much. I was like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of like, I'm gonna do the best that I can, right? But in retrospect, I'm seeing like, wow, I, I opened up all those doors on my own. Like I did not take no for an answer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's amazing. Do, do you feel like having the, un, you know, the undocumented experience gave you a different perspective as a student um, in terms of, you know, you, you obviously talked about the fact that, you know, you felt like you had to keep up to the expectations because you had the scholarship, but separate from that, you know, there's other feelings, right? Like, you know, the expectations of your own family that you have to upkeep and you have to maintain. Did that play a role in kind of your performance as a student? And then you talked about being a professional opera singer. Like, how did being undocumented help you have a different way to view, you know, this opportunity that that was given to you? So I don't know if it's just me personally or if it was because I was undocumented at the time. But um, but I definitely just... I, I wanted people to be proud of me. Like, I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can so that people are proud of me and they think that I'm doing a good job. And I still do that today. Like, even with my business, sometimes I'm just like doing things, bringing things on, bringing on technology. And I just want my mom and dad to be like, oh, she's doing good. She's she's doing a great job for the company. <laughs> but um, But yeah, it definitely changed my perspective in school 100%. Um, during that time, you know, you're in college and you can go out drinking with your friends, right? You can start going out. I didn't have an ID and I don't know about your experience, but I didn't have an ID for many years because I didn't get DACA until what I was 22 or 23. So it was a couple of years that, you know, your friends want to go out. You want to, <laughs> you want to go out with your friends, but you have to be like, Oh no, I'm staying in tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't want to go out. <laughs> I don't have an ID. I don't have a way to get into a club. <laughs> so it did change kind of like, you know, that part, that aspect. So um, it made me a little bit more focused on my studies and, 
you know, I obviously I still hung out with my friends at the dorms and, you know, I did my thing, but you're a little bit more, I don't know, self-conscious, I guess, about the whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because when you don't have papeles, like, it, there's this weird feeling that you have of like, I don't want people to ask me the question of like, where am I from? Or like, Hey, let me see your, your driver's license or like, or this was one that I experienced, you know, senior year, you want to plan that senior trip with your friends. For me, my buddies, we we're all going to like Cancun and they're like, yo, Christian, you're going to come. And I was like, uh, no, I don't have money. <laughs> You know, I played yeah, it off with, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's like, oh man, if only, you know, but you know, in retrospect, like you were talking about, like the perspective I have today of that time in my life, like maybe it saved me, you know, not having papillas, maybe preventing me from getting into trouble, you know, in some other way, shape or form. But I wanted to kind of ask you this question about your education. So you went to school, you, you, did opera. Is that what you got your education in? Or did you also pursue something else? Nope. So I just focused on the music. I, I was a singer and I was a songwriter for my entire childhood until I got my degree. That was just what I was meant to do. My dad got me a karaoke machine when I was like eight years old or something. And I nonstop sang on it every single day. I was recording little cassette tapes at the time. You know how you do. Oh, yeah. You play, you play it on one side and then you, and then <laughs> record, you record on the on other. other. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I had that little setup. And then my parents finally got me uh, vocal lessons when I was around 11. And that's just what I did. I was a, I was a vocalist until I graduated. Um, so that's really what I focused on. And are you doing anything with being a singer? Yeah, not right now. I... Uh, well, fast forward a couple of years after I graduated, I moved to New York and I did the whole thing. I was a pop artist and I did a record. It was what? like the whole thing over there. I know. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole other side of my life. <laughs> that is crazy. Definitely. You'll, yeah. you'll have to dig into that a little bit because I'm sure people are going to be like, wait, what? Wait, we, we, we started this podcast about talking about how, how she has a, a roofing business and then wait, she's a professional singer. Like what? I know. So I did that for a, for a while and then I moved down to Florida again. And that's when I started this business. And I had, I have so much passion for what I do now that I didn't even know existed in my life. And now I feel like a whole other book has been written and I'm just starting this whole other side of me as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, as, as someone completely different than just the songwriter yeah. and the performer. So, yeah. So now I'm not doing anything at the time, but I, I eventually I'll, I'll get back out there and, and do some opera stuff. I live in Naples and there's a bunch of old people here. They love opera. <laughs> so I'll eventually get back into it. <laughs> so it sounds like you're in a good place there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Okay, so you made that transition in your personal life. School's done. I got to get a taste of the professional singer's life. Close that chapter. And then now you're in Florida. You're trying to figure out, you know, life and how to move forward with it. But then this opportunity to, you know, start a business with your family. Can you talk about what that was like? Had your family already been in the roofing industry? Or did you guys just one day, you know, sit down and be like, you know what, I think we should try to pursue this? No, yeah. So my parents have been in the roofing industry for as long as I can remember. That's how they got me through school. That's how they got me, you know, and my brother to have a normal life. 
they really uh, worked really, really hard. Um, and I saw my dad kind of not struggle, but, you know, you see your parents work for other people, right? So he worked for other contractors. He worked for, he was a subcontractor at some point. He really worked really, really hard. And every company that he worked with, they um, multiplied, they grew exponentially in the time frame that he was working with them because he was such an asset. I saw that value in my father. And when I was moving from New York to Florida, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to either move to Miami and continue pursuing music, or I wanted to move over here closer to my family, but there isn't that big of a music um, scene in Fort Myers for pop music. It's more of opera classical. So I just, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. And my dad suggested, you know, like, well, you know, we could start a business together. You know, we could do something with the, with the roofing experience I have. And I initially thought, okay, that'll be fun. Like as a side thing, I can do it as a side thing. He can do it as a full-time, he can run it. I'll just kind of cooperate with whatever he needs and admin, you know, help out. And I took on this role that I was like, okay, sure. I'll start the business. I'll do everything from beginning to end for admin, you'll just help me with the part that I don't know, which is production. I don't know how to put on a roof. I don't know how to get the guys to go put on a roof. I don't know that part, but I can help you in sales. I can help you in management. I can help you in finance. I can do all that other stuff. And as we got deeper into the process of opening up the business, I took more ownership of (laughs) the business And um, my parents were like, if you want to do this, run with it. And I said, I want to do this. This is so much fun. And we started the business in 2018 and I have not looked back. (laughs) We have grown so much. We've got, you know, our crews that are loyal to us, which is, it speaks volumes. Um, I now know how to put on a roof. I've done all my research. I have my license. (laughs) I've actually put roofs on. (laughs) Um, And it's just been, it's just been so fulfilling and such a great experience to be able to work with my family and provide a really good service that is completely different than anybody else in the industry. And I didn't even know I had that passion within me. I didn't even know I had that drive for business or something you know so it's just been it's just been incredible that's amazing did you feel like at any point during this transition in your life trying to start this business with your family and then eventually deciding hey you know what this is what I want to take on for my own personal benefit did you what types of risks or fears did you have to overcome to to jump into this decision well, it was a lot of fears. I was young. So I was like 27 when this was happening. And to me, that's pretty young. Right. But that's at the time, young. right. I felt, you know, you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like, oh, I don't know enough. How am I going to start a business? How am I going to have enough money? How There's just a lot of things that are, there's a lot of fears. Um, but we were able to overcome those just by the fact that it was a team that I had next to me. So it wasn't, I wasn't doing it by myself. I had my mom, I had my, my dad and my brother to really put in time and you put in money because we all quit our jobs. <laughs> we all quit everything that we were doing for income and we decided to do this full time. And with the three, the four of us actually putting in all of our efforts, we were able to have profit the first year, which is, well, we didn't 
I, I don't know if we made like a lot of profit, but we were break even, which is, <laughs> we were like, all right, we made it. We were able to eat. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of fears on that, but the fact that I, I had a team, I think was able to give me the strength and, and confidence to be able to do it. That's amazing. Did you feel like as a woman going into the roofing industry and I guess by extension, the construction trade as well, um, do you feel like you had to overcome additional barriers because you were trying to take on this leadership experience and role in this type of an industry? Oh, yeah. Big time. So even to this day, sometimes I still struggle with the fact that I am the leader of the company and I've got a lot of men under me. Um it is, you, you know, it's pretty hard to seem like they want to listen to you or they want to hear your ideas. Um, but even early on, when I was out trying to sell to my customers, I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty savvy. So I can, I learned everything that I needed to know. I, I had all the facts. I had all the information and still people, you know, customers, people that I would meet out, they would look at me and be like, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so I did kind of have to have the support of my father with me for a lot of sales for a while until um, I got a little bit more well-known. So now people know our company, they refer us out and, you know, they trust that I know what I'm talking about, I guess. But I, I've had to do a little bit more research than most people. There's a lot of guys that I meet that are actually selling and, you know, they're successful and they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, so I've had to do, you know, you, you have to go above and beyond for, yeah. I have to have engineer reports behind me. I've got to have, you know, I know exactly where to find it in Florida statutes. I know law, I know Florida code. I know, you, you know, you know what I mean? You have to kind of take it a step beyond for, as a woman, in the construction industry. What would you say to other women who maybe aspire to do something like you and join, you know, take a leadership role in an industry that's heavily male dominated? Oh yeah. I would say go for it. It is so fulfilling of an industry as a service industry, as you actually see something happen, right? It's not an imaginary thing. Um, but if you're a woman and you want to get into this business, I say, just do it, stand your ground, learn as much as you can and make sure that you have a really good team that supports you and believes in your vision. And in your experience, you said you had your dad help you. Did your mom play a role in kind of helping you fall into uh, a comfort zone in this position? Yeah, well, she's always been my emotional support. She's always um, a huge, you know, the biggest cheerleader on my on my team. But she does she does all of our billing and, and our invoicing. She does most of my finance. And she has just been, I, I share an office with her, but she has been, you know, that shoulder that I cry on, that I lean on. If there's a problem, if there's anything, I'm always going to her and I'm like, hey, I need some advice. <laughs> So she's been, I mean, you speak Spanish. She's always been like, ponte chingona, ponte en chingona. And I'm like, okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> exactly. That's what I think is so so beautiful about your story, you know, working together with your family. I mean, obviously families, 
you know, are what they are. There's good experiences and bad experiences, but I think it sounds like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you had, you guys have found the right balance, um, to find harmony in your business. And obviously with the success you've, you've been experiencing so far, um, it's obviously working out in, in your guys's favor. So where do you see your business going in the next two years, five years, maybe even 10 years? Where, where do you think it'll be? So I'm currently in a stage of growth right now. And of course, we have been growing in the past couple of years, but it's just been kind of natural. We've kind of just been doing, you know, everything that we can to help people and, and get out there. But now it's a little bit different because my my goals are a lot higher than they were in the past couple of years. I am hiring all the time. I'm looking for to continue to build my team. And I am putting in processes in the company that I might have not have put before because we were just just a family company. But I don't want to just be a family company. I want to continue to grow and maybe even have kind of like a franchise element, right? So we've got full processes, full systems. Everybody shows up every day. They know exactly what they're meant to do. And I want to put, I have a very unique vision for the roofing industry, I want to make every single person on my team, no matter how big we are, I want them to have that same vision and that same drive to help people motivated to just be of service and be transparent and offer the best quality service that we can. Um, And a lot of other people in this industry, you know, it is very money driven because there's a lot of money in this industry. Um, But I want to have, I want to have, the team that my customers call because, you know, I can trust this person. I know, like, I really need help and I don't want to just call anybody. I'm going to call international roofing. You know what I mean? So I, I, that's what I'm trying to build for the next couple of years. Do you foresee your business going outside of Florida in, in these expansions? Yeah, eventually I'm thinking that's more of like the 10 year plan that will have more branches outside of Florida. There's a lot of cities that are growing right now that I would like to eventually get to. Um, But definitely in the next five years, we're planning on having at least two or three branches in the state of Florida. Uh, That's amazing. I think you guys should continue to do what you're doing and keep, you know, promoting your business. And that's what I think is really cool about what this podcast has given me is it's given me an opportunity to tell people stories. I mean, really, it's you guys telling your stories. I'm just sitting back enjoying the experience because one of the things that I think is beautiful about the different stories that I've had so far, you know, I've had Carlos, who's the first DACA student, uh, DACA dental student at UCLA. I had my friend um, Joaquin, who's the first DACA medical student at the University of Utah, uh, you know, and just all sorts of different stories that, that are being told. And I think what is empowering about, you know, a story like yours is that you overcame a lot of adversity and not just you, but it's also your parents. You said that your mom helps you with the finances. And for a lot of immigrant families, um, that is something that, you know, is is very important is learning how to manage your, your, your finances. So to be able to have your mom support you in that way, is she kind of going through school or anything like that to kind of improve her skills in that? Or did she have experience in that beforehand? She had experience because she helped my dad build his previous businesses and be a subcontractor and work with other contractors. So she managed him for many years. But I completely agree with you. There's there's that big wall you know, sometimes when I talk to my mom and I want her to learn something else 
she's like, oh no, but I don't know. And I don't know English and I don't know, like she knows English. She knows how to do all this stuff. Like don't hold yourself back. So it's just really funny how like we both, well, pretty much everybody in my family, you know, we all have our, um, you know, our doubts, you know, and our fears for ourselves, but we each push each other to continue learning, to continue growing, to continue, you know, stepping forward. And my dad always says next level, what's the next level? What do we need to do for to reach that next level? So we all continue to push each other. And, and, and like you said, I know so many people, you know, family members, you know, community members that you have that fear of stepping out of that comfort zone but you need that team to really push you, to really drive you, to say, no, you got this. You, you can learn. You can, even if it takes you a little bit longer, don't worry about it. Let's just do it. Let's just walk through it every step of the way. We'll do it together. So yeah, that, I'm so, I'm so blessed that I have my family with me. <laughs> no, for sure. And you said something that really stuck out to me. You know, it's funny because a lot of undocumented people just in general are, in my opinion, one of the, like the, one of the best entrepreneurially mindseted individuals because when you don't have papers you have to learn to survive and when you mm-hmm. have to learn to survive that means figuring out how am i going to stretch these 20 dollars that that i earned or the you know or i have five mouths to feed how the heck am i going to do that when i'm only making you know eight dollars an hour cleaning houses right And that is a different perspective than a lot of American people. And I think what stands out to me the most is, you know, I still have family members that are undocumented and, you know, they're not making, they're they're not making money. I'll just put it that that simply. They're not making any money, but they're able to stretch what they do earn to still enjoy the lifestyle that they have, which is being close to family, being able to enjoy the commodities that they have, just they have to do it slightly different. But what's been really interesting to kind of observe is that they all have their own little side hustles. They all have their own little businesses, whether they're selling tamales, you know, during, you know, the holiday season uh, or, you know, they are going to garage sales and buying things and then flipping them or or whatever. They're they're always finding ways to hustle and they're always finding ways to make money. And so the the thing that I always tell people when I start hearing these stories is like, well, why don't you make it an actual business? Why don't you actually just make it happen so that way you can increase your profits and increase your your just your opportunities? And a lot of times, the, the biggest thing that I hear from a lot of people is, es que no tengo dinero, or I'm afraid, or no tengo papeles y me van a encontrar, right? Like, and there's a lot of truth to that, especially for people who, you know, are the older generation of undocumented um, people. You know, there's that feel, fear that's deeply ingrained and it's hard to overcome that. But I think yeah. you said something that helps to overcome that and that is having a strong support system. Because I think when you have that strong support system, you can feel like you can tackle anything in the world, regardless <laughs> of what it is. And to hear that that's exactly what's going on with your family. You guys are sharing that vision of the business where it's going to take you guys. I'm sure, you know, your parents, you know, still probably, and I don't know their status as well, but it sounds like, you know, thinking about undocumented concerns are probably not at the forefront, you know, especially when they have a thriving business. And I think that's what your story really resonates with me personally. And I hope it resonates with the listeners of this podcast as well, is that you could do anything that you put your mind to. Like, I know it sounds cliche and we hear it all the time, Pero si se puede, right? We can do it. And we just mm-hmm. have to overcome these these fears, this this imposter syndrome, you know, that, oh, well, 
they're not going to take me seriously. No, yes, you just have to believe it. Um, and that I think is where as a community, we need to, we need to do better at, we need to continue to support each other so that we can empower women. I am a firm believer in, you know, supporting women owned businesses. I think that, um, you know, there is just a interesting perspective that is provided, um, to the various industries of the friends that I know that are women that have started businesses is they provide a service where, their, co- their competition just can't keep up, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I feel like we need to have more women in, you know, not only in the construction trades, but also in finance, like my friend uh, that I had earlier um, in my podcast, you know, she is like you she's living in Florida, but she's hustling and she's killing it in the finance game. And so it's just like, why can't we do more of that? Like, what's yeah. keeping us from doing that? You know, yeah. and, and you know, I, I guess I'll ask this question based off that is why do you think it's important for undocumented women specifically to start a business and how can they go about it in your opinion? Oh, it is so important because we have such a unique view on life that not a lot of people, I mean, it's a very, very small percentage of people in the United States have. We, not only do we have this like wherever you come from, because I'm sure undocumented people are from all over the world, but you have this other culture, right? In the back of your mind. And then you've come here and you've had to overcome every single obstacle from elementary school, all the way into college, every single obstacle, you are a go-getter. No matter, no matter if you don't know, like if you don't know it, that's fine, but you are, we are right that's why it is so important for us to get out there and really open up our minds, meditate and think, what do I want to do? What is it that I want? Get creative. We're smart. We're hustlers. We might not know it again. Like I told you, I, all of this I've learned in retrospect because at the time I didn't know, I didn't know I've done, I've overcome things. I thought I was just living my life, but we are overcomers. We can make it happen. I just think it's so important that we get out there and and show our true spirit and our true soul because of these unique experiences that we've had through our whole lives. Exactly. And what you were saying reminded me of a book that I just finished reading. Uh, If if anybody who's listening to this podcast enjoys reading books, especially like self-help books, there's a book that I just finished reading. It's called The Power of Regret by Daniel H. Pink. And mm-hmm. it talks about how looking backward moves us forward. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting because you were talking about how, you know, in retrospect, you now have a different perspective of, you know, how life played out for you. And this book is really interesting because it talks about how all too often we have these different types of regrets, right? Where it's like, oh, man, I should have done this or I should have done that. But it talks about how you can utilize those those feelings to overcome them first off, but then use them to propel you where you want to be in the future. And I think that's that's so important. So if anybody's listening and is looking for a good book to read, I highly recommend that one because again, it'll, it'll change your perspective on, on regrets, but it, it does it in an inspirational kind of way. And it talks about it. So they did a survey in this book where they, um, they surveyed about 4,000, 5,000 people, something like that. And what they ended up finding out was that it was like 78, 80%. It was really high. Um, the, the number of people that had a regret of, I think it was um, not, not taking a risk, not going forward with an idea 
And now looking back in life, you know, they, they wish they should, now they can't for whatever reason. And that's mm-hmm. what I think so many of our undocumented friends, regardless of where they come from, maybe is, you know, they're like, oh man, I should have done that when I was younger, or I should have done that when I had X, X amount of more money. And the reality is it's never too late. Like, if you realize that this is something you want to do, if your spirit tells you, hey, like, I want to start a business, uh, I don't know, cutting dogs, hair, like, if that's what your spirit, your what you feel inside is, is inspiring you to do, like, go do it, you know, why stop yourself? And I think that's what really I, I hope this podcast really does is I hope it inspires people, whether you want to go to school, start a business, um, but better budget or manage your finances like it's fine if you don't have papers or if you're a DACA person like it's okay that's just a small hurdle that has to be overcome but hey it's not impossible right you just have to mm-hmm. you just have to approach the game a little differently um, and that's yeah. why like your story Lorena is so inspirational for many reasons and and I would not be surprised if once this podcast airs People reach out to you wanting to learn more from you, wanting to hear, you know, the, oh, yeah. the other part of your story that, you know, we're just not able to capture with the time constraints on this on this call. Anyone wants to reach out, I'm available. Yeah, well, and I was just about to ask. So <laughs> if people want to reach out to you to learn a little bit more or to get your your take on how to start a business, how can they reach you and where can they reach you? So they can reach me via email. My email is Lorena, L-O-R-E-N-A, at International Roofs, and that's a plural, so it's R-O-O-F as in Frank, S as in Sam, dot com. And our website is internationalroofs.com. Check us out. You can find my email there, too. And uh, do you have any social media handles that they can look you up as well? I don't anymore. I do have like a, uh, when I was a singer, I have music by Lorena. You guys can check out some videos there. I haven't updated it in like three years or something, <laughs> but, um, no, I don't, I don't have social media anymore. <laughs> Got it. No. Oh, I think when I talked on Facebook, so they can find me on Facebook. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, on that note, uh, thank you Lorena for joining us on today's podcast. Your story is uh, you. amazing. I hope that it inspires people to want to be like you and start a business. And more importantly, I think hopefully it inspires women who have a great idea and, you know, are holding themselves back for whatever reason. I hope that they use this podcast and your story to push them forward to start that business, to pursue something risky that could have a better return than not doing anything. Um, I'm so sorry about that. I'm not sure if you could hear that. Yeah, no worries. It's okay. Life happens. We get it, you know. Um, And on that note, um, thank you again, Lorena, for joining us. And uh, we'll catch everybody Um, on the next podcast. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. It was so much fun talking.